It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Show. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. This is Play Hard, Work Hard, the daily morning show, the Crude Life daily morning show right here on the Crude Life Content Network. Sterling, how you doing today? Doing great, Jason. Looking hey, look forward at, to the end of the year. This time it's recording. This is our third take. Our third take. Now, first, the first two were awesome. First one, we didn't realize the mic was off for an hour. The second one was only eight minutes. Eight minutes, 40 seconds. See, we're learning. That was a great eight minutes, though. I mean, that was class. <laughs> this is our fourth pilot show, <laughs> and we seem to be going backwards with, with some of the technical things. This year really needs to end. <laughs> All right, so let's take a look at what we got going on today here, folks. This is Play Hard, Work Hard. In the first hour, we play hard. We have fun. Still learn a little bit. Get ready for the second hour. And in the second hour, we got State Senator District 13 of Colorado, John Cook, former sheriff there in Weld County, now a state senator, the only state senator, I do believe, with any sort of law enforcement background. That makes it interesting in and of itself during a Black Lives Matter police reform defund the police talks going on. I'm going to ask him that a little bit later to see if he um, if it irritates him at all. You know, like to, to know that all the because it's the same thing in oil and gas where you've got people not working in the industry trying to recreate their industry. Well, he's probably got a lot of experience with antagonism, you know, being antagonized. Right. Exactly. On both sides of things. Yeah. So I'm sure there's a lot of parallels yeah. in the same way. You know, the military has a lot of parallels with the with the crew camps and the different housing and, and that sort of thing. So be really curious what he uh, has to say about the things that are going on in Colorado. We've got uh, Governor Jared Polis. I'm going to ask him about the Colorado blueprint. Mm-hmm. This I've, is the book. The book that apparently the governor wrote before he was a governor. Okay. And it had to do with a Democratic takeover, thus the blueprint. Had to do with getting rid of oil and gas, which has to do with uh, getting rid of capitalism to usher in more of a socialistic type of environment. Does that include no central heating too, I guess? I'm not sure, you know, and I'll ask him that too. Where's the disconnect? Because it's, it's not, there's been many studies done about the real estate in downtown Denver that's oil and gas related, the amount of money that goes to education, just the whole economy that is, is based on oil and gas revenues. So I'm going to ask him, where's the disconnect? I mean, it's, uh, I'm starting to ask that to these, some of these people, because when you've got, the president, you can't get any higher than that, saying we got to get off something that 96% of our life is tied to. That's that's getting a little that's a little out there for it's me. It's an uncomfortable conversation. It is because it's I've said it for three, four years. As a journalist, I would deem that fringe category. I would honestly, I would put that in the you're kind of crazy category. Oh, yeah. Go back 10, 15 years. That would have been political suicide to say that. Totally. And I don't know what's changed in terms of our lifestyle. I mean, I get it that we can. Nothing shocks us anymore, I guess, you know, I guess. I mean, I I get it. We're, you know, we like stories. 
humans like stories. Well, but- we also seem to like to sling the extreme. You know, everything is uh, it's fascism, it's socialism, it's communism. They're Nazis. They're you know they're baby killers. They're anti oil. I mean, it's you know we just throw these names at each other. What does it mean? It's very different because when you know when Trump got elected. Jerry Springer came out and he said uh, it was inevitable. Okay, and I remember that because he would like, know. Springer. I'm like Jerry Springer, <laughs> like. But we were talking uh, before we went on air for the second time that we didn't record. <laughs> we were talking about how the current environment is kind of a product of the late '90s, early 2000s, and the example we gave to each other, Sterling and myself, is Homer Simpson. How. When Homer Simpson came around in the late 80s, early 90s, that's my generation. I'm Gen X, man. And through through. every day I try to be Homer Simpson on some level to my son to be cool and to be funny and to my friends and this and that. So it's fun to be dumb. It's cool to be stupid. Well, during that extreme generation... It almost is like we've we've became a product of that. So I see where Springer was talking about. He wasn't necessarily pointing the finger directly at Trump. It was more about just that bigger than life. Ex- the reality ex- show that we've brought into ourselves. Yeah. And so but you made the comment about how we've probably in- internalized these, these yeah, exactly. things too much. I love Homer Simpson. And when we were growing up, Homer Simpson was, you know, he was all of the epitome of the bad dad and that's what made him funny you know he was he was all of the 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 great fathers that you saw on television before leave it to beaver and stuff like that he was nothing like that he was more like the dads most of us grew up with on some level you know at least on some level but i think randy marsh is the new homer simpson by the way from south park oh as far as kind of the carrying the the torch there the new dad generation of well i mean i guess you could argue al bundy was probably the first homer simpson or they came around the same time. He might even be able to go further back than that. But with, with, with Simpsons is we internalized it. And what was funny has become how we, what we expect in our humor. Things oh, over the top. It's how we live our life. It is. It is. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah. So, you know, not everything we love is good for us. That's true. But coming up in today's program, we've got a few things. We've got news ready to go here in just a bit. Some daily news, rumors, and newspeak, we like to call it, because so many people call the mainstream media fake news. But, of course, we all go there for our news. Right. We call it fake news, but we go there for our news. So we call this segment News Rumors and Newspeak, because you never know what we're going to get when we it's chime always a in, jumble. check in with the mainstream media. So that's coming up a little later in the program. We've got colors and marketing. Now, what that is, is the way that marketeers through the years have used colors in order to persuade our buying and thinking. And the example that's really common is uh, red vehicles, mm-hmm. especially sports cars, are historically known for the most tickets. Aggressive. Aggressive. And we talked about in one of the uh, pilot shows, Jolt, Mm -hmm. how it seemed like Jolt used uh, red and... Lightning bolts. A lightning bolt. (laughs) The lightning bolt was the symbol for extreme back in the 80s or whatever when Jolt was around. So double the sugar, double the caffeine. But they, they even used the aggressive 
colors in there. So yeah. it was, well, they didn't try to hide it. And I think that was what makes Jolt so special as sort of a forebearer of all those, you know, drinks is that they didn't, they didn't try to guss it up. They didn't try to say, Oh, it's got some attributes. No, this stuff is horrible for you and you're going to love it. And it's going to be addicting mm-hmm. and it'll keep you up later. Yeah. Well, night like you and- said, you can feel your teeth when you drink it, you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> It's like, oh, I have two more teeth I didn't know about. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you can actually feel them dissolving is what he meant. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably more true than you know. You know, I did read one time just to do one little color story and then we'll move on. But I did read and I'll have to check this during the commercial break. But the Oakland Athletics. OK, the Oakland A's. Oakland A's. Do you know what their mascot is, by the way? A giant A. But their other mascot. No. Elephant. Really? It was an elephant, and it, it was like a, um, I believe it was on a, like a trampoline tent-looking thing. So kind like of, a circus-y-looking thing? Exactly. Okay. So the owner of the A's originally loved P.T. Barnum, loved the ideas that he in, embodied. Right. And so that's where the elephant came from. But the colors, they were orange and yellow and green, like a weird green color. But wow. it was orange and yellow. And it was because they would stand out. That would definitely were, stand and, out. And they were funny. Yeah. And it was, it, he approached it from that side of it because. Spectacle. Yeah. I mean, the Yankees, classic look. Dodgers, mm-hmm. classic look. So all these other franchises had this staunchy, old, classic, right. whatever. White and with stripes. Were kind of the first to say, let's be fun. Yeah. Let's bring some fun into baseball. So I believe that's the Oakland A's, the athletics. And the A's just stood for athletics. So that's cool. So that's coming up a little bit here in the program. When we come back, we're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we're going to have a story from Saudi Arabia. That's Actually, it's here, but... Sterling's time in Saudi Arabia. You spent some time living in Saudi Arabia. Your dad worked for Ramco, and because of that, you lived in Dahran. 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 Haran. Dahran. Which in the 1940s started out as a trailer in the desert, and now it's got golf courses and schools, schools. hospitals, it's uh, a city. condos. Yeah, it's a, the last when I lived there. I think there was about twelve to thirteen thousand people living there. And the special part of this is it's all oil and gas employees. Yeah, everybody that everybody either worked directly for Aramco or they worked for supporting things like the hospital, the you know the the dentists, the everything that you needed to support a city. And so Sterling's got a very interesting upbringing and a perspective, but he also brings in an international audience out of the gate because he's part of a network known as the Aramco Brats, and it's uh, it's people who lived there were a part of the family that uh, I guess Ramco built and, and Standard Oil Ramco and then Aramco and now Saudi Aramco as I there might even been a couple others it's just a, like generations of alumni really yeah. you know it's like a class getting back together type of thing I always call it like you know it's like when uh, you know Beulah North Dakota has the all town Reunion, you yeah. know, it's it's because all thirty-two of them, I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> all the graduating classes come in, so so we'll be back in just a moment. Here it is. What do we got? It is the morning show? Play hard, work hard. That is Sterling. My name is Jason. A story from Saudi Arabia coming up in just a moment. It's a beautiful day. You're listening to Play Hard, Work Hard on the Crude Life Media. Yeah, I feel so good. 
The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Play hard, work hard. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure The forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. And we forgot to mention our sponsor in the last segment because we this is our third take of, of the pilot number four. And this is why we do these pilots because we forget to hit the record. But hey, look at that. We hit record this time. Our sponsor of the day, American Directional Driller, the 40-foot tape measure, decimal feet, inches, and metric. Sudden. Five pound beauty here. Yeah, look at this thing. Class two accuracy. This thing is durable. You hear that? Easy to read. That's Extra reliability. wide blade. Long tape standout. Nylon coated blade. Durable. ABS. Abs. Housing. I like to say abs after ABS. Yeah. So, but pileusa.com. Pileusa.com. Of course, the links are available at our website. And the link on our website actually goes to Amazon. So you can go to Amazon and buy it or pileusa.com. We're going to have some videos where we're going to challenge advertisements of measurement. For example, Subway. Are you really giving me a six-inch sub? Or is it five feet Five inches or ten centimeters. Yeah, and I think I, they had to settle a lawsuit about that. Oh, did they really? A couple of years ago, about the foot long. Yeah, I think they did. Somebody actually did something like that. So we need to take this out in the field and see if we can find some discrepancies. So when we do this at Subway, it's going to have a snarky connotation out of the gate. Oh yeah, because somebody's challenge. Okay, all right, I'm cool with that. <laughs> Would I'm you cool want it that. any other way? Well, I, you know, otherwise you go to the pizza pie places mm-hmm. and you challenge that too. You're like, oh, this is a 14 inch pizza, huh? We'll see about that. Let me just pull out my American directional driller, 40 foot tape measure. I know. I just want to go out and measure things. 
So we'll be doing some videos in the next year about that. Our phone line sponsor of the day, Swan Energy. Swan Energy, phone line sponsor of the day. And we'll be joining State Senator, Colorado State Senator John Cook, a little bit later in the program on our Swan Energy phone line. Our music, featured music, is the Moody River Band. If you have a musician or a band that you'd like featured here on the Crude Life Morning Show, play hard, work hard, studio at thecrudelife.com. Actually, if you want to email us about anything, studio at thecrudelife.com. All right, before we went to break, we teased a little bit that we'd come back with a story from Sterling and when he lived in Saudi Arabia. And I want to find out about the school he went to it. So you mentioned second grade. Yeah. I went over there in second grade and was there till ninth grade. And your dad worked for Ramco and communications. Yeah. Yeah. Communications junior. How many people were in your class? Mean like the graduating class? No, just like in second grade. When you got there, I mean, yeah, was it five, you know, it was probably, ten? Pr- no, no, it was probably pretty average. It was probably like uh, 15, 20. Okay. Yeah. And okay. it was a mix. You know, it was uh, it's Americans, Brits, Australians. There was people from Pakistan. There was kids there from Africa, uh, Eastern English Europe. speaking? Everybody, you know, English speaking, but actually the first couple of years they taught uh, Arabic to us. Okay. Um, and then they gave it up. Uh, my dad said because at that point they were nationalizing it. And math? Math, yeah. English? English. Yeah. Okay. PE. Dude, the schools we had were epic. I mean, they were, you're talking about Saudi Aramco, you're talking about an oil company, right? They, they turned their attention towards <laughs> building a compound for people. These schools yeah. were compound huge. Compound is not Ted Kaczynski compound. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's, it's Monty Burns compound. It's Richie Rich yeah, You know, just, just imagine, you know, uh, every school had a great gym. Every school had a nice library. You know, there was a grade school and there was uh, two junior highs, you know, so you, or a junior high. So you had, you had it just like small town America in a lot of ways. Uh, the teachers were a mix of American and international teachers, you know, so you got some cool perspectives. And of course we had different classes at different times of the day. Cause the week over there is Saturday, Sunday is your Monday and Tuesday, Thursday, Friday is your Saturday, Sunday. What now? Yeah. Okay, so the what, week, what do you mean by the, that? Well, the weekend over there was Thursday and Friday. Okay. So the weekend is Thursday and Friday. Yeah. So I got up Saturday morning and started my week at school. Really? Well, yeah. I'm watching Saturday morning cartoons. Know, You're man. going to school? Yeah, it was a weird adjustment. As a kid, that was probably the coolest thing you would tell somebody about living in Saudi Arabia. That you went to school on a Saturday? <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool, I guess. Uh, but no, you know, I mean, it was a different calendar year over there, you yeah. know? You know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great experience, but uh, no expense really paid on that compound and the education that we got. Are they a Friday worship? Daily. Five, daily daily five times a day okay yeah. uh, prayer call yeah well i know the the old testament is um which would be jewish i jew jewish saturday and then the new testament sunday right it's kind of the <laughs> blanket <laughs> broad brush stereotype and uh, and so I never knew the Muslim if that this is if it was Friday. Or no, just it's every day? Uh, it's it's five times a day. Okay. In fact, when you're five shop- times a yeah. day, if you're shopping downtown, uh, places close for prayer time, usually about 25, 30 minutes. If you're in a restaurant, you can't leave or you can't go in until prayer time's over. Um, yeah, I mean, you just those are things you just got used to because you were a guest in that country and we were always treated really well as Westerners. Um, but, you know, you got to respect the culture. Well, yeah. And, and I can see that where you would mm-hmm. without a doubt. But uh, I did five times a day, five times a day. 
you know, I'm Catholic and I thought, you know, and again, as a kid where that affected me as an American living there is on the news or on the the TV channel five times a day, it would cut usually in the middle of a show to prayer and remission for 30 minutes. You know, or 15, 20 minutes, something like that. I was just saying, you know, Catholic, so I, I understand, you know, daily. Devotion. And, yeah, I mean, I was an altar boy. <laughs> and guilt, I think, right? Private school. By the way, did you guys have fire drills? We had fire drills and we had duck and cover. Now, what's duck and cover? Oh, you know, we did tornadoes. Getting un- yeah, getting under your desk. Okay, was yeah. that uh, for tornado? I imagine you guys had tornadoes inside. Uh, you yeah. know, if I remember right, it was usually talked about as like if there was a well explosion, although there wasn't a refinery really close to Dahran, um, but there was, you know, not too far away. And then, but I think also the Iran-Iraq war was going on when was I first moved normal over to do that in the school or was there, when was that? Uh, well, I moved over there in 82. So the Iran-Iraq war was just kind of winding up or still going, I think, pretty strong. So, so that was, was a concern, too. Yeah, there's some missile concerns. Yeah, missile, and, rockets, that kind of stuff. And a lot of times the oil refineries are target number one. Yeah. And, you know, like my dad said, if one of those went, it probably would shatter windows, you know, 30, 40 miles away. So you when know, you so. hear the whatever presidential candidate talk about American energy independence, you you know firsthand what that is. Well, yeah, our independence for my <laughs> lifetime is came via Saudi Arabia, you know, right? But, you know, we're in a much better position now uh, as a country, it mm-hmm. looks like, where we don't, we don't have that kind of dependency. We did, um, I mentioned I went to a private Catholic school uh, for my elementary years, and we would do tornado drills and nuclear yeah nuclear yeah and for the nuclear drills they brought us down into this like boiler room well you guys actually had like a a basement floor nice dirt floor boiler room because this is an old church add-on type thing and i just remember thinking to myself going I'm not sure this is where I want to stay. If it, right. if, if it is going to actually happen, I'm yeah. not sure I want to be down here with 100 people. Well, you know, at least that's got some possibility. The idea of climbing <laughs> under your desk. You know? Right. I mean, <laughs> well, that, oh, the whole tornado go under your desk, yeah. I thought that was a joke. To, and when I was in second grade, I yeah. could see the flaws in that. But towards the, well, you know what we would do towards the end of my time in Saudi Arabia is they'd still do a duck and cover drill, but instead they moved us all into the hallways and you had a book. So a book you, you carried one of your books with you and you held it over the back of your head. And the book was basically to prevent flying debris, glass. Yeah. Like a hard hat. Did you guys have hard hats? We didn't, but the schools, you know, they were solid concrete form schools. These were meant to withstand things. Wow. Okay. That's a. Pretty interesting. And then uh, boarding school for high school, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in in junior high. That was, you know, another advantage of working uh, my dad's job at Aramco is that they paid, I think it was somewhere between 70 and 80% of boarding school. So you had to leave the country Mm -hmm. after ninth grade. uh, But, you know, I had the opportunity to look at boarding schools all over the world and make a decision. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I went to the private school, it was uh, back when they were desperate, so it was based on your income. Right. And then they got out of that and said, okay, you can go now because you can't afford us anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, man, boarding school, we, we never would have been able to afford boarding school without Aramco. I mean, you're talking back in the 90s, it was 19000 a year. 
you know, and I'm sure it's probably 30 now. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, it's outrageous. Up even more yeah. from that. So, I mean. no, all of that, all of that opportunity came out of my dad working his butt off to get a job over there as a contractor and then get hired on full time and bring us over there. And, you know, he's 83 now, so he had to retire mandatory retirement at 60 uh, from Aramco, but he'd work over there today if he could. Is he still alive? Oh, yeah. Is he, uh, what does he think about this oil and gas business and the president talking about banning it and all that stuff? You know, most of the people that worked over there and that the, I've had experience with, you know, it, it's you can say that, but the realism is it's what moves the world, you know? And even if you're going to phase it out, you're never going to be able to shut it off unless we just don't want to have heat, AC, water. I mean, you know, it's, it's so just not practical. Yeah, the, you know, I found people that grew up in an oil and gas community overseas or, or even in the United States have a more practical view. They can care about the environment, but also understand you're going to have to have oil and gas help you get there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we're probably less extreme than your average person that didn't grow up around I, it. I've noticed that, at least with me, when I started noticing what was going on, I was confused. Like I was really, like I told you, I said, when, when I first heard it as a journalist, I would have put these presidential candidates in the fringe category because if anybody else would have came out and said something as extreme as to say, let's reverse our entire economy, let's reverse our entire this and that way of life, that that that's an extreme thought you know and that's the problem is that so many things like that get thrown out and but i don't believe that's actually going to be able to happen i mean even if they wanted to turn things off tomorrow right bernie sanders or whatever they want to shut it down you can't (laughs) you can't this is something that you know that's the thing that's why i think uh, you know anybody that's got a realistic view needs to be uh talking a bit more and this is where i think the oil and gas industry has really um i don't understand what they become educated amongst themselves because they i believe they got confused because it was such a ridiculous sentiment it was it was it was so ridiculous like oh this will never catch on like who (laughs) right who's gonna believe this crap (laughs) like for real like you just you just arrived in a private jet pal Mm -hmm. and now you're saying to get rid of it i mean there was such hypocrisy that I think the oil and gas industry probably figured either the politicians or the media would call it out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's fashionable to to make them the bad guy. You and know? That, and I get that. Yeah. I get that. We saw it with tobacco. Yeah. You know, and my I love that saying. I I'm going to say it to John Cook if it comes up. Senator John Cook coming up in the second half of the program. State Senator, District 13, Colorado, John Cook. That um, you can't heat your home on. Marlboros and drive your cars with camels because it's just not a thing. So trying to lump the oil and gas industry in with uh, tobacco and I saw pornography uh, now and I'm just like, whoa, 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 people here. We're getting really extreme really fast here. And uh, anyway, so I was just curious about your your dad, what, you know, what he thought of that, because he's 20 years removed, 24 years removed. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, everybody that I know through him, everybody he's worked with, friends of the family, you know, none of them are radical against oil and gas or radical for it. It's more of a it's a you know, it's it's a natural resource. We need it to thrive. It also funded all of our lives. 
you know, all of us were connected to it. So, yeah, I just think it's 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 silly the way that people demonize it doesn't you know and what's the narrative what what how does the oil and gas community respond to that you know how do you you're never going to get you're never going to get people going shell exxon these corporations they're good guys you're never going to get enough people to, to believe that because they're just kind of baked in well i think the leadership really needs to step forward and say listen i get that we're talking about fashionable things and it's cool and and we want to be able to do what is right but at the end of the day the oil and gas industry has been evolving towards an environmentally conscious industry planet everything for the last 150 years so they've been doing it naturally it's been happening and you know here here's here's the reality is is that you're never going to bat a thousand mm-hmm. there might be another tanker that doesn't Exxon Valdez. That may happen again in my lifetime. See, again, that's a narrative. You know, nobody wants that to happen. But it might. It and might. You, and do you know what? Right. But nobody talks about the statistics, how many times that doesn't happen. And that's the point, is that nobody wants it to happen. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to stop the world because of the fear that it may happen one day. Right. And we're not talking about a cargo ship full of cigarettes here. We're talking about fuel oil we're talking about we're talking gasoline about clothing, we're talking about clothing homes but i mean economy energy 96 percent of what we live on okay and that's the part that the leadership should be able to say okay if it happens every day we'll put a stop to it if it happens once a year we'll start having some meetings about it and figure it out but it happens once a decade And because of that, a whole new safety industry starts. A whole new ripple effect happens. I I have no idea if other industries adapted like the rubber bladder method that Cray America was coming up with. Remember on the Seinfeld episode, Cray America? But I'm sure a lot of the a lot of what is going on has to do with a bladder membrane type of a system. Well, and every time something like that happens, you're right. Innovation comes out of it. Right. Right. And so the we make mistakes, we learn. That's that should be the attitude rather than demonizing. It's not like it's not like a, an oil or gas. It's not like a company wants to go, hey, let's let's lose several million barrels of oil into the ocean right now. That seems like an awesome idea. You know, the narrative that I'm actually hoping to take back that I am one of the most progressive people that I know, because I am trying to figure out how. The Democratic Party, and this is not a political thing. This is an observation of society. I'm trying to figure out how the Democratic Party got known as the Progressive Party. There was a time, I believe, when Abraham Lincoln was in the Republican Party, they were known as the Progressive Party because they ended slavery. Okay, And that was known as a progressive action back then. And so today... We have the Democrats known as the Progressive Party. I do not get that because I believe that to be progressive, you want to give people liberty. You want to give people freedom. You want to give people opportunity. And me, listen, folks, I very rarely talk politics and everything else like that, but I am a libertarian at the core. I'm, I have so much libertarian roots inside of me that it's, it's ridiculous. 
But I look at that as the most progressive party there is. I want people to think freely. I want people to have the choice to go into the marketplace and vote with their dollars or whatever. Not to have the Democrats say no. Not to have the Republicans say no. We're going to give it to that guy and we're going to give it to that nonprofit and we're going to give it to that government agency. You can go figure it out for yourself, pal. So I, I would like to challenge anyone listening out there. Do you really believe that the Democrats are the progressive party? Do you believe the Republicans are? Or do you think I'm a nut job because I think the libertarians are the most progressive party out there because they're the only ones wanting to give people liberty back. Do you see my, do you see my quandary? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's a, please let's retort. (laughs) It's an enigma wrapped inside of a taco and served in a lobster. I mean, it's, it's pretty nuts. It, that's the problem is progressive, uh, conservative. These things have become bad words, right? As a way to describe your adversary, your enemy, as opposed to, I mean, I think we can all pretty much agree nobody wants to destroy the earth and we'd all pretty much like to have it for another couple thousand years, right? But so, okay, how do we work towards that? It's never the extreme, but those are the people that get the most airtime. Oh, I just remember growing up, like I was identified with the, the Republicans, okay? Mm-hmm. I, and I identified the Democrats too, but that was more on like the, the, the social issues. I was more of the fiscal and and be, just the conservative side of that, the whole capitalism side, and and anyway, so I started losing my way a little bit, this and that, and I was sitting down one day with a very highly respected politician, and I, I've been asked three times to run for office, okay, and they were just talking to me one day, and they were asking me about these. It was almost like a personality type test, mm-hmm. you know. Hey, where do you stand there? And what do you think here? And how about this? And trying to pin you down on a position. It just was, just, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, the once over, yeah, twice over, <laughs> three times a May Day over. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and he just kind of looks at me and he goes, "Boy, you're you're a libertarian." And I go, "No, I'm not. I'm not a nut job." <laughs> That's the first thing I said. I go, "I'm not a nut job." And he goes, "No, no, no." He goes, I, "Ideologically speaking," he goes. You're more of a libertarian. I said, well, what does that mean? You know, because I hadn't really heard that word at the time. Not right. really. It was everything. Yeah. It was. Well, and again, you, you associated it with nut jobs. Oh, totally. It's got a bad connotation. Yeah. And like right now, I associate, I, I'm being totally serious when I say this. I am I, very concerned about the main leadership in the Democratic Party if they're trying to honestly end fossil fuels within 10 years. I'm very concerned about, and, I, and I'm going to bring this up to Senator Cook a little bit later. I have a 14-year-old son. And from age 12 and 13 and 14, it's like easier talking to a brick wall, okay? And I think we're almost there with some of these adults where I, I just, I don't know how to talk to them. Well, you know, it's that going back to what we talked about with being in a silo. You know, yeah. People aren't talking, they're talking at, not to, to people. Everybody's shouting at each other. No one's listening. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's all what noise and thunder signifying nothing. All right, we got to take a quick break here, and uh, we're going to leave it on that. That seemed like a good spot to leave. And if we had a mic, we could have dropped. We should have dropped it, but we don't have that. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. We come back. It's time for some news. No, colors, marketing colors. Well, we'll flip a coin. We'll be back. All right. This is Jason Spies. That is Sterling Morning Show. Play hard, work hard on the Crude Life Media Network.
Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. To play hard, work hard, right here on the Crude Life Content Network. My name is Jason Speece. That is Sterling. This is the Crude Life Morning Show. In that last segment, we got a little too serious for my blood, by the way. Yeah, was, uh, you know, there's a lot of good things to talk about there. I mean, I'm, I'm used to doing these big and, you know, big This important. is the play hard part, though, I right? Oh, and I'm, I've spent the last 10, 12, 15 years doing, like, you know, kind of newsy type stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I used to do talk shows. I used to be a sports talk show host. And so I like to have fun. You've got a good voice for it. And so, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And you do too as well. And that's... And hey, like, I've never done this before. So this feel, is great. I feel like I needed to bat that one back there. And <laughs> But I should have just said, when it came to politics, because, you know, I, I it's weird. I'm, I'm even feeling weird exposing myself the way I just did in today's day and age, right? So, I, because we're in journalism school, you're taught never to pick a side, ne- whatever it is. And um, anyway, so what is it I really, should, that's what they teach. 
they're, still, I hope. No, they did. Yeah, they did. They, yeah. did. they also taught yeah. us not to yell fire in a crowded theater, too. Yeah, now, and it's, now it's competition. Who can yell fire in a crowded theater the loudest? I think it's more like uh, somebody's MySpace journal now. You know, Seriously, the media has turned into who can yell the loudest and most, most creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, fire in a crowded theater. And before, it was like an ethical type of a rule because Orson Welles, I believe, did it one time with War of the Worlds and people jumped out of buildings because they really thought aliens were landing. That's a true thing. Yeah, have you ever heard, listened to the show? No, but I, I saw the Tom Cruise movie. It was terrible. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. Yeah, I wanted to jump out of the window. But but I read the case in, in college on it mm-hmm. where because, you know, I did take several ethics. My university, North Dakota State, required us to take communication ethics. Yeah. And that was part of it was, was cases like that. But anyway... I should have just said my political beliefs are very simple. Government stay out of my checkbook. Government stay out of my personal life. Next question. Ron Swanson. There you go. I should have just yep. said that. Yeah. <laughs> really, Ron Swanson sums up my political viewpoint pretty well. Did he kind of make the libertarianism at least somewhat acceptable? Because yeah. like I said, I, I always assumed it with nut jobs. Well, you know, they played to that, obviously, like the whole idea of him like not having a, an address. Ron Swanson, <laughs> Park and Rex. Right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was fa- yeah. He was yeah. fantastic. He's got gold buried all over the place, you know. Decoy gold. Decoy gold. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what do we got? What do we got? We're gonna do some colors here. Marketing Here's colors. The way colors have impacted our daily lives, and you may not even know it. All right, you ready? Let's pick a color, any color. Pick a color, any color. Which well, color? Let's start with something a little off. Let's, this. Stick, let's stick with the Crayola color. Okay. The, how the, about the original eight pack? Or hit me with green. Green. Okay, that's on here. Very good. Green, it's used to sell vegetables and chewing gum, but people avoid it when they sell meat because it reminds consumers of mold. I can see that. Pink, you ready for pink? Yeah. Studies show that people almost always believe pastries from a pink box taste better than any other color box. I'd believe that. That's what Sandy's comes in. Sandy's really? donuts. Yeah. Okay, I did not know that, yeah. but I know that pretty much every popular culture show pop culture as the kids call it <laughs> has a, a pink pastry box usually sometimes white but generally pink yeah people are willing to pay more for personal services example given haircuts eg performed by people wearing pink so if you're a beautician or you're a massage therapist services for personal services uh, wear pink and you get paid more wow Men believe pink products do the best job, but don't want to be seen buying them. Ha! If they think someone's watching, they'll choose something brown or blue. Really? <laughs> that's that's the fallback color, huh? I guess so. I, that must be a whole other study. Yeah, there's, there's got to be a whole other level to that. I think that was my college years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about red? That's uh, That's got to be a, an uh, obvious You know, one. they don't have red in here on what? this little one. Yeah, on this page. I don't want to flip the page, oh, okay. so we'll go to orange. All right. Uh, an attention getter. Well, there's my story about the uh, Oakland A's. Yeah, there you go. He used orange and yellow and eventually green. But uh, a quick attention getter, it communicates informality. I wonder if that's what the Buccaneers were thinking about initially. Didn't they have kind of a, a orange, orange. Uh, sherbet kind of thing going on? They were very sherbet. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, but the year, not to tangent, but the year that they changed their outfit... They went to the Super Bowl. 
Or no, they, they they got close to the Super Bowl, then they went like a year or two later. You're, you're talking about the year they switched logos. Yeah, they switched when they switched uniforms. They modernized, yeah, yeah. yeah. Helped the Broncos a, too. They did, and uh, that was that was a Tony Dungy got fired. Yep. And then John Gruden came in and won it that next year, his first year. Yeah, playing against his own team, basically. Playing against his <laughs> old easy, team it's with be the, the team easiest Tony Dungy ever. set up. I know, right? I mean, and then Tony Dungy had to go win it with the Colts. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in your life. Oh, he's, I mean, he's awesome. Genuinely nice man. Yeah. Um, okay, another orange one. Uh, when it's used on product, the color orange loudly proclaims that this product is for everyone. So orange is kind of like universal then. It just, it says, hey. I'm here. Pick me up. I'm the dude, man. I'm the dude, It's man. all cool. Yeah, it's all good. It's all right. <laughs> Relax. All right. Now, pale blue, not sapphire blue, not regular blue, but pale blue. Pale blue can actually make people feel cooler. Mm-hmm. Designers often use it in places where men work because men feel five degrees warmer than a woman in the same room temperature. Is that psychological? How is it we keep calling women hot? <laughs> All right. Is it that good of a joke? No, that was, that was good. I, I'm sorry. I don't have any applause. Here. I was expecting a, some yeah, playback nah, on sorry, that. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say you look glistening. I, I, You're glowing I, right actually now. Actually, it's probably a good thing that you didn't play back <laughs> on that one. Where's the girls next door? When are they coming over here? They're going to be joining us for, for the, our, what, uh, biblically for our, bad, our debut. So. Bad dates. Yeah. For, you're right, for the biblically bad dates. Had another one the other night. <laughs> All right, blue inhibits the desire to eat. In fact, researchers say that people tend to eat less from blue plates. I've actually read that before uh, where they recommend people on diets use blue plates. I have, I have actually read that before. In one of those uh, Weight Weight Watchers, mm-hmm. Lean Cuisine, Sally Struthers things through the sure. years. Yeah. Wait, Sally Struthers didn't lose weight, did she? She no, I think she was the Save the Children, Save the Starving Children, Save the Starving okay. Children. Yeah. So, what kind of colors do you ever notice a color like? Are you attracted? Like you like purple? Love you like purple. black? You like green? I do. Uh, emerald green. Emerald green. Forest green. Right. Yes. Yeah. Not uh, like Seahawk green. Regular green. Not so much a fan of. Yeah. Uh, like the emerald green, like the forest like green. Like the forest Love green. sapphire blue. Yep. There you go. Uh, but purple. I was always attracted to it as my favorite color. I'm wearing it right now. And uh, what purple is from my memory, and this is not from the study I'm looking at, but it's a very regal color. It's a very... It, it promotes a regalness, like yeah. a, a prominence. Hence the cape you're wearing right now. The cape, yes. Yeah. It's, it's a Prince sweatshirt, man. Remember <laughs> Prince? I do. Prince I is, do. I love Prince. All five foot of him, five foot two maybe tops. Six years now? Five years since he's... Since his death? Yeah. Prince, the musician. Artist formerly known as Prince. Yep. Paisley Park, that's where this is purchased from to support Prince and his endeavors down there. Uh, he, yeah, we won't Is get purple in there? Purple's not in okay, here. Okay, I was thinking. Bronze that. is. Bronze. I would think warmth and wealth. Interesting. This metallic hue gets negative response. Hmm. Researchers say it's useful when rejection is desired. <laughs> so if you're looking to get rejected, God, I've been doing it all wrong. There's a comedian that does a whole bit on the bronze medal on how it's just better not to place. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just whole 
bet on it. And that makes this joke so much more funny to know there's a psychological <laughs> side to bronze is useful when rejection is desired. When okay. rejection is... <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's how you sell something right there. <laughs> gray. Well, this will be useful for me since I'm a silver fox now, not a gray mule. Your eye process, see, right? The silver fox, not a gray mule. No, not a gray mule. Your eye processes gray more easily than any other color. <laughs> Even so, people often become prejudiced against it, especially in areas with bleak climate. So gray is kind of a, it doesn't make people feel very good but it's easily processed so it's easy on the eyes hmm. oh, that color's easy on the eyes <laughs> it sounds like it just doesn't take a lot of work you know the eyes like yeah okay that's great i don't have to do anything else all right our last color brown you ready for brown researchers say a brown suit a symbol of informality that invites people to open up it's recommended for reporters and marriage counselors Wow. Well, maybe that's why it was such a prominent fashion color in the 80s. People wanted people to open up a little mm -hmm. bit? Yeah. Brown corduroy? Yeah. Did you have a suit coat that you wore? Zip, 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 zip with uh, corduroy? Oh, yeah. Well, the story that I think about when it comes... We got about two minutes left, so I'm going to stall with a story here. So I'm interviewing a gentleman who is the owner of Strauss. Remember Strauss Clothing in Absolutely. Fargo, North Dakota? 70-some yeah. years, second, third generation business. They sold high-end suits. And they were doing a, you know, we're, we're retiring business mm -hmm. and they were, and the, the kids didn't want to have it. And also oh, completely shut, completely shutting okay. it down. And then the, one of the kids tried to reopen it uh, about five, six, seven years later, something like that. But at the time, it, like one of the kids was a buyer for target. And so they did, they had good jobs and they didn't want to leave a good job to go open a high end store in a, they moved off the farm and didn't want to come back was. Well, Amazon was taken off and this and that. So anyway, yeah. I asked him, I said, um, you know, in all your years, you know, what, what did you take away this and that? And, and he said that um, when people started wearing jeans to church, it almost killed our business. <laughs> and the reason was, is every year farmers would come in and buy a suit, one suit, Mm -hmm. And so, cause they wore it every Sunday. Yeah. And so when people stopped dressing up for church, the high end suit places that sold regular suits too, but there was the farmers. Cause remember the farmers got checks every year from the government to go buy a combine or go buy a pickup or go buy the seat. They got checks to get their local economy going. And the east side of North Dakota is ag. So it's all stimulus. Every buck we put into the government, we get two bucks back. Yeah. I think it's a buck 80. I'm rounding up to, to be snarky. But, <laughs> Close enough. But the point yeah. is, is that there was a system in place. Well, you know the joke. How does a farmer get a raise? You add a second mailbox. <laughs> and what, what, why is a farmer's brim curved? Because they're looking all the way to the back of the mailbox for their check. For their check. Yeah. So those are the jokes I grew up with that right. my, my uncles Probably did. Probably a lot of tongue-in-cheek, though, right? They did not like those jokes, yeah, but, but, other, but the city folks sure. Yep, yeah, sure. so it was a little Hatfield-McCoy yeah. at Thanksgiving. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but the point was is, though, there was a time when whether you were a farmer or in another industry... You bought a suit every year because you knew, even if you didn't have a funeral or have a wedding, you still had 52 weeks you were wearing that sucker. Yeah. 
And after 52 weeks, you should probably get a new suit. And you probably put on a few pounds or took off a few. Anyway, so. Well, in, in business in general back in that day, you know, I know my grandfather telling me stories about how, you know, everywhere he went, it was in a suit. Mm-hmm. If it was business and when it was weekend, he might wear slacks, you know. You know, they'd have the thing creeping out of the, what do they call that? The corsage or the a handkerchief coming kerchief. out. Kerchief. 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 You know? Yeah. So, yeah, there, and it's classy, for sure. I mean, you and I wouldn't like to have to do that every morning. No, no. And especially in the days when they wore wigs mm-hmm. and those puffy pants and dresses. <laughs> and, yeah, just things along those lines. But yeah, thank God for sweatpants and yoga pants, right? Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and the outfit of 2020. Sweatshirts mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But the, the other thing he mentioned, too, and, and we've got just about 20 seconds left here before we hit our next commercial break. Is I asked him, I said, so, because they had a tailor. All their stuff was tailored. You went there, you, you, you tailored yeah, this it'd and it'd all that. be custom. It wasn't off the rack. No. And I said, so, you know, what do you think about the future of fashion? He goes, well, there's going to be a lot of men walking around in suits that don't fit. <laughs> <laughs> that, was his, that was his ending comment. And I went, that's about as profound as it gets. Hey, that sounds like somebody who spent a lifetime in that industry. Yep. But it's so applicable for life. Yeah, it's... As they try to fit us into cookie cutters every which way we turn. So I was like... Well, wow. now anybody can run to a Walmart and pick up something fancy. Exactly. Right? Yeah, so, so anyway. <laughs> that is Sterling. My name is Jason. We're going to take a brief pause and we come back a little bit of news. And then we'll go from there. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. All right, welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. We are 
here during the play hard portion, but this is where we get to the news. Newspeak, rumors, part of it. You know, and we should we should explain where that kind of that working title came from because when we actually put the show out, there might be different titles on things and um, you know, uh, I will not be as lax, I'm sure, with a lot of the stuff I've been kind of lax on over the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> it's a time to be lax. And it's early morning. And anyway, but uh, where this came from is, you know, so much of the mainstream media is fake news. And fake news is ridiculous, okay? What I look at fake news is when they start telling you how to feel instead of reporting. And when they stop reporting, it becomes fake news because now it's speculation and it's more of rumors and it's predicting the future and that sort of thing. So it's not news. It's kind of like the 24-hour news stations. They're not really news. It's maybe five to ten minutes an hour, maybe five minutes an hour where they kind of do some news reporting in well, the next... Anytime that you've sat in an airport, you've watched the same news recycle after yeah. 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You and, know, and without getting into the whole, you know, ooh, all five major networks seem to report on the same four or five stories, you can do your own conspiratorial mind on that side of things. There's a certain agenda behind the narr- you know, the narrative that they want us to say and feel and think and everything. But... Where I look at this being a problem is when they start telling us how to feel. That's right. I, I think we, we started getting to into the real problems of things because it's, again, we're trying to give now universal feelings to things that used to be universally agreed upon, like the 40-foot tape measure here, okay, by American Directional Driller, our sponsor of the day, PileUSA.com. We all can agree that this is a 40-foot tape measure. That yeah. is a universal thought we all can agree on. That's a fact. But can we all agree that we love this? I think we should. Can we have the headline, Everybody loves the 40-foot tape measure. Everybody loves measuring pipe with the 40-foot tape measure. See, this is the problem. Is not enough emphasis is put on what do we like, what do we agree on. Versus... Man measures pipe with 40-foot tape measure. Now, see, I would read that story. That is news. Everybody loves is fake news. Yes. So, anyway, that's where we're kind of, that's where the rumors and news speak came from because the news has changed. The news has changed. Before in the old days, the olden days, let me tell you, when I used to walk uphill both ways to school in a snowstorm, Magazines used to do speculation. Newspapers reported. Newspapers, every Sunday they would do a little bit of editorial. Yeah, on the Sunday, though, they might do kind of a more of a speculative story. Like, you know, will the shopping mall bring us the boom like we thought? But then it would be they'd have a week to work on the story. Most newspapers operated where they had to put out the news overnight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now... My neighbor, he's a politician. He gets contacted by the Associated Press. If he doesn't respond back in an hour, they go to press and say he didn't comment on the story. Right, no comment. In an hour. So, I mean, if you're on a conference call... If you've had an enchilada the night before, <laughs> I'm just saying there's a lot of reasons. Right, right. You, it's, you it, might, we're, we're all pretty busy. I mean, if you're recording a podcast, right. I mean, for crying out loud here. So, 
There are some universal things that we can agree on and some universal things that we can't. So what do we... Uh, what do we? Well, here's something. Rumoring, uh, newsing, and everything. You want today. to talk about some speculation? Then you're okay. talking about. So we're looking at a Forbes article. Bum 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 bum. Middle East doubles down on oil and gas as the UN warns of climate emergency. Let's go to that headline again for a second before we get into the story. The Middle East. Okay, first of all, boogeyman. Boogeyman. Okay. Doubles down. Oh, aggressive. Provocative. Boogeyman doubles down. Oil and gas. UN. Okay. Oh. Climate right. emergency. Oh. oh. We got. Do you see how they they sandwiched oil and gas with fear in that headline? Oil and gas is afraid of Russia and OPEC and Saudi Arabia, Middle East, right? And we're all afraid of the Middle East because of the wars that have been going on our entire lives, right? And then climate change on the back end. Oh, oh, that is that is a masterful. If I were teaching a class on media. I would show that headline as a way to be problematic for oil and gas. I'm not kidding you. You know, in fairness, they did put climate emergency in quotes. That is fair. Actually, that is fair. Right? Okay. That, 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 that does provide some clarity. I agree. However, though. I'm fairly certain that when you go into the story, it is uh, actually a quote from somebody. So yeah. they're, they're not saying that they're doing it. Yes. They're, 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 they're quoting the, the secretary general but of the it's, United That's Nations. interesting, though. Well, I mean, in, in, you know, like even the local paper here where I'm from in Fargo. Um, they, you know, they, they, they do propaganda 101. Mm-hmm. Okay. They allow the city of Fargo to capitalize a C and T in the city of Fargo, bringing a, you know, prominence to a town name without a vote. Right. No, nobody voted to change the city of Fargo to capital T, capital C, small O Fargo. No, it's just Fargo. Yeah. Okay. Probably a marketing decision. But even more advanced of uh, the way newspapers and media sources will do propaganda, for example, crime. Okay, crime. I'm not talking about racial crime. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about geographical crime. What, what they'll do is if there's economic development in a downtown and there's crime, they'll say it happened in North or South because there is an act, there's no downtown. Right. Downtown is, is an idea. Okay. But on the map, it's just North or South. Right. You know, and so, or I'm sorry, the post office address. So if, if a crime happens in downtown, they'll say it happened in, in North or in South. But if there's a positive story, they'll say downtown. So that's a very basic 101 a propaganda media, mm-hmm. that type of thing. And if they like the development happening in a downtown, then they'll 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 do that. Well, you know, I think one of the problems too is that over time, you know, you're supposed to be if you're a reporter, objective, right? It's and I, but to. but everybody has an agenda, whether it's a company, a uh, a conglomerate, a country, or an individual. Everyone has an agenda. I think the difference just in our lifetime from we didn't say Newsweek and Time or something like that would be how the words that are used to try to invoke a feeling rather than just trying to report the incident. You know, and so I think a lot of journalists, uh, they let their agenda maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously, but they let it bleed in. And then you got opinion people that are just pundits. They're just, mm-hmm. their facts are based on feeling, you know? So it's tough to, to wade through it. But then you, you know, you're talking about like 
what they're talking about in this article is is what's a concern for i guess maybe any any place in the middle east what do you do when yep, you're awash in oil what is the article and about? the price well what 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 this is basically talking about let's get to the actual news <laughs> part of it here now that we've just done the rumors and news speak part okay which, which we were supposed to be making fun of them doing and we just did it okay all right so we're editorializing about editorializing uh so right secretary general basically is upset that most countries in the g20 are spending 50% or more of their stimulus and COVID rescue packages to fossil fuel production, right? So most of government subsidy money is being pumped back into that industry, according to this. Um, The main issue here with the Middle East is what do you do? And they've been facing this problem as long as I've been alive or you've been alive, is what do you do when your primary resource is oil? And the world market is washing it and the price is low and you're getting pressure on climate change. What do you do? What's your backup? Saudi Arabia is not going to start becoming like the goat milk capital of the world, right? From my understanding, Saudi Arabia has oil and gas Mm -hmm. and that's it. Because the next is what? Camels? And I'm not, and I'm, and I'm being somewhat kind of serious. <laughs> livestock, resource-wise, I'm not really sure. Do, do they get, have lithium? Do they have they coal? May, do they have? I don't think so. They don't have water. I don't know. But you know, they water they, is now a commodity. By the way, yeah, it's, it's being traded now. 30, a, 30 years ago. at least, they've had. I remember living there. They would have these gigantic desalination plants on the Gulf. Right, right, because right. they need that. Yeah. yeah so, so, okay. so a lot of that has probably been you know advanced in that country. But yeah, you're talking about you know it's a it's a tough decision and then you're getting pressure from every other country outside of the middle east going hey temperatures are rising you're still investing solely in fossil fuels i'll tell you from a geopolitical point of view i have not heard one conversation about if if we start transitioning off of oil and gas as rapidly as they're talking about what are the repercussions going to be from saudi arabia where if this is their main Income, mm-hmm. and they're rich. By the way, well, they got a lot of sheiks over there with money, so they can they they, they can fight back. That's I, what I'm getting at, and fight back in different ways. Okay, right. for example, what a lot of people do on the left side that have wanted to end capitalism, mm-hmm. for example, it's it's pretty well known, you know, because they've got manuals and and everything like that. Is you you go in and you infiltrate an organization, and your quota is 10 widgets in an hour. Well, you only do five. And, and you get other people to only do five. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a different form of protesting. It's a subversive form of warfare, actually. But it's being done every day. It's, mm-hmm. it's being done. In fact, the U.S. has done it. That's how I know about it. Well, yeah, controlling <laughs> throttling productivity is... Well, so we've done it in other countries right. to, to, to slow their economic progress down. Right. So with that kind of idea out there well you know the country is heavily subsidized you know and it's not necessarily saudi arabia is not necessarily a free capitalism it's more of a controlled capitalism so i you, think they're going to be the next investors in america to be honest now that i'm, oh, I'm, I'm thinking been. more about oh, it yeah. because uh you know jacksonville jaguars uh that's a sheik who owns it and I believe his Saudi Arabian money is where it came from. There's so much Arabian money. That's what I'm saying. Country. They've got 100 years of extreme wealth. Yeah. 
And these guys have been Americanized over the last several years or several decades. So they might be the newest players out there in terms of, uh, you know, what do, what do they call it? The Dragon's Den and in America, what do they call it with Mark Cuban? What's the name of that show? Oh, gosh. The uh, Shark Tank. Shark Tank. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, Anyway, um, there. What else we got? All right. What's, what's the next <laughs> so moving story? On. Yeah. All right. Let's try something a little bit more local-based for us. So this talking about North Dakota. This comes from the Bismarck Tribune. North Dakota's oil industry faced, and this is going to surprise everybody, pretty terrible year in 2020. Lengthy recovery expected. So we're talking about the rapid collapse of crude prices in the spring, dismantled rigs, idled wells, and pretty much a bleak rest of the year. Oil companies that have filed for bankruptcy, thousands of jobs lost. Yeah. I don't think that's telling us anything new. <laughs> no, it, it's really not. And that's news, though. But this That's was definitely news. This was happening before uh, COVID. It was already, the, the trend was already happening this way. Yeah. Um, there, there's a, North Dakota has a lot of problems. And where I'm actually afraid is I think the, they're going to blame the oil and gas companies, and the oil and gas companies should not be blamed. Uh, what North Dakota did is they attached 50 to 60%, depending on who you talk to and what study you look at, of their general operating expenses to two oil and gas taxes. The extraction tax and the production tax. Mm-hmm. I believe it's 11.5%. Wow. Highest in the nation. Yeah, that's incredible. I believe it's highest in the nation. I think at one time it was. Um, but when you've got 55% of your state budget tied to that, mm-hmm. um, I know it's not putting all your eggs in one basket. Man, that's a lot of eggs, man. Well, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, too, is that you, you the industry recognizes that there's boom and bust. I mean, it's... But we're not an oil state. Well, I don't know. You, you talk about the last 15 or 20 years, and we have definitely shifted from agriculture to being more known for oh, oil and gas. Without a doubt. I mean, really, but we have become. Over the last 100 years, oh. I would say that North Dakota would rank probably fifth. If you, And I just throw fifth out there because of Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana. Doesn't that a lot have um, to do with the fact that Wyoming it's only probably recently been economically feed, like worth it to exploit? Well, because the boom and bust are pretty quick and, and everything along those lines in the well, past. Yeah, and in and, fact, in this article, they were saying it's not even the worst, really. They were talking about a bust in 99 and 2000. Then, of course, in the 80s, when mm-hmm. oil pl- prices plummeted around, uh, I think it was 85, 86. Um, so, I think yeah. it's interesting, though, that through the the... A lot of the leaders have been quiet, okay? So a lot of the people that when we had $100 oil and $70 oil were going around on every national news circuit, every local news circuit, anybody who would listen and saying, this is a 30-year play. Mm -hmm. This is 30 years of good times. Yep, I heard that. Well, yeah. When I moved Who up didn't? here, yeah, 2009, 2010, it was, it was, were, it's, it's golden age, baby. People were coming from all over, but they said it for years. Yeah. Well, yeah, they were, man, shoot, I remember on the, the flag, they were talking about it just like that. This is a 30 year play. This is, you know, this is boom for generations is the way they framed it. And that just blows my mind because we've, anybody that's our age has lived through at least three of these already. That's the part. And I've, I've, in fact, I've got on record, so you can go to the crude life and listen. I asked them, what about the boom bus? And mm-hmm. they weren't too concerned. 
weren't a 30-year play, man, is different. Yeah, it's we know. Different. Yeah. Even during 2030. And, you know, to be true, during $2030 oil, they were still drilling a million barrels a day out in Watford City in the area. Yeah. But, again, someone forgot to carry the one. And all of a sudden, the drop-off rates at the end of the wells were happening a lot faster than they thought. And all of a sudden, the production was just wasn't what they thought it was going to be. And so, oopsie, oopsie. And more react, more react. That's the part that's really troublesome about this, is that this is, this is another example of industry reacting to a problem that everybody's known about for a while. All right. What about what's next? I'm well, you know, North the Dakota. biggest problem. I get, I, I get upset with yeah, this. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, in North it's Dakota, you know, we're talking about North Dakota of all the states, it's right? Because I see it in my own. Yeah. No, no. But it, you think about it. North Dakota. Most people don't think about North Dakota, but we are a direct focus of the Middle East. I mean, they they want to keep those prices down because if you keep it down below sixty, you get down forty or something like that. You're talking. There's just no. It's not sustainable here. North Dakota is doing so many amazing things when it comes to innovation. That's that's to me that's the future where the conversation should be and i can't believe that the leaders are not able to connect Mm -hmm. that's the part that blows my mind is that even in the coal industry for example i mean listen north dakota gets independently verified as a plus air like by the american cancer and heart health and all these different different places (laughs) there's my coffee um all these different places they get it like an a plus rating when it comes to our air quality and yet, like, 70 to 90% of our state was powered by coal for a long time. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, uh, uh, you got to fit in this box, and it has to look good in a certain way that the leadership has really not had a good, they haven't been able to connect. And it's just, and again, in the oil and gas industry, talk about the same thing, about how the 16-year-old girl going around the country is connecting with people much easier yeah. than the oil and gas industry is. And, and the oil and gas industry is spending billions of dollars. Yeah. And, and Well, and they're doing this awkward dance with the Fed. But they're know, not the connecting. State. No, they're not. I mean... Okay, when we were growing up, I remember distinctly, you would see commercials from Exxon, from Shell, from these other companies, and they were, you know, they were all about innovation. They were all about, these are the people, you know, from the the rig worker all the way up to the guy working R&D in the lab on new, you know, uh, propane, something like that. Where is that? Where is... They, they they just lost control of the narrative. They went from being the innovators and in one of the companies that we were proud of to being embarrassed by. How did that happen? Do you know where it is? It's honestly, it's on the uh, company social media pages and on the um, state council things, um, social media pages, and maybe on a television or radio occasionally. So what you've got is, I'm sorry, but anybody under the age of... Well, anybody not working in oil and gas any age is not probably frequenting um, oil and gas social media accounts unless they're protesting against it. Okay, like um, you unless know, you got a family member that's involved or something right. like that. Yeah, you're right. yeah you're on the outside looking in. You're probably not checking in to see you know what Marathon's doing, mm-hmm. for example, or Exxon or whatever. Maybe you are, but probably not. Yeah. Um, if you're against them, you are. Yeah. So right there is a little bit of an imbalance. So, and I've sat on panels and I've argued and apparently lost because it, people still believe, according to where they keep directing their dollars, 
that kids are watching television and listening to AM talk radio, which I'm, I still disagree with that, but how do you argue with where the industry directs their resources? Uh, you know, it's it's tough because it's the, one of the easiest things to say if you're an executive is no, right? It says to not change things, to not rock the boat, to not try something new. So what's happened is that when you've got young people, and by young people under 50, okay, they're not going to these sites so on, on, on the World Wide Web. Right. Everything's siloed. You know, people Silent. are in their silos. Totally. Yeah. So they're having a hard time reaching them. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happened. Yeah. And uh, the 16-year-old going across the country, she gets picked up by all the social media sites and all the kids and well, all the I mean, it, all it, the influencers. How could you not? I mean, Kim how, Kardashian. How could you not focus on her as Leonardo newsworthy. DiCaprio? He's so dreamy. Right? So dreamy, living in the Seaver's backyard. <laughs> Mike Seaver not wearing his mask in Hollywood. Boy, it's really fun to do seven, six degrees the Kevin Bacon sentences <laughs> where you just start a sentence and you just start bleeding stuff together. You know, we're at a point now, and maybe that's what 2020 is all about, is we are in the end stage of hypocrisy, right? It's, it, I it, think it we're just even, in the beginning. No, because it, it, it doesn't have any effectiveness. You, you used to be able to potentially shame somebody into changing their attitude because of hypocrisy but it's just a bunch of gotchism and what about chism and you know there's we don't care i'll tell you what if china's social score ever hits america it's gonna that's 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 the end and by the way that's a real thing that in china right now your social media posts get a score and based on your score you're allowed certain places and accesses and things like that. It's like yeah. a credit score, but it's a yeah. social media score. There's a Black Mirror episode on it, and it's pretty good. It's, it's really, it's called Nosedive. I've, I've heard of it. It's really good. Yeah. It's really, it's about how basically a girl's social media score spirals out of control just from one thing to the next. She had a bad day, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And so anyway. But yeah, that's that's how we could you know, we could be marked, basically. That's how. Yeah, and basically it gets you better rates at apartments yeah. and it gets you into different places. So it's based on behavior yeah. and control. Yeah. And saying the right things in the right way. Well, see, that's the problem is where we got these two opposing forces. You got the, the one side that wants to control everything and the other side that wants to control everything. They both think that they're right. They both think they're saving the world. What's the compromise there? I don't know, man. How do you break through? Oil and gas could be, again, pioneers in this, right? Just looking at the clock, we better get the last news story. All right. So the last one's a little lighter uh, in some respects, but leads right into what we were talking about with free speech. So coming out of... We're the only podcast that pays attention to a clock. (laughs) Yahoo News is reporting a cheerleader's vulgar message prompts a First Amendment showdown. So this is from New York Times, too. Uh, Let's see. Spring 2017, a ninth grade student in Pennsylvania was having a bad day. She learned that she'd failed to make the varsity cheerleading squad and remain on junior varsity. So she expressed her frustration on social media, sending a message on Snapchat to about 250 friends. Message included an image of the student and a friend with their middle fingers raised, along with text expressing a similar sentiment. So, interesting thing here, 
Besides the fact that we just brought up the Chinese social media score, and now we have a new... By the way, I did not know this. This is uh, this is along that lines where... Go ahead. Well, Keep yeah, you, this, this is, it ties exactly yeah. to what you were just talking about because you somebody reported it. Uh, the coach saw it. An assistant coach, I think, saw it. They, uh, they booted her out to avoid chaos, quote, avoid chaos and maintain a, quote, team-like environment. Uh, interesting thing here is that they actually want this to go to the Supreme Court. The school does. Uh, the school district does. They want that because they want some clarification. At what point can we hold a student responsible for things they say outside of school? It just comes down to the fact that they just couldn't hear you and I when we were in ninth grade because we were in our bedroom screaming into a bag of Doritos. So, or, or Harry Hardon or, from Pump Up the Volume. Pump Up the Volume. Wasn't that his name? Harry The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. All right, we have Senator, State Senator, Colorado State Senator Cook joining us here. John Cook, former sheriff of Weld County. District, oh boy. 13. 13, okay, thank you. Lucky I al- 13. Lucky, lucky 13. Well, my name is Jason, so for me, 13 is lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, let's, let's start off with a little bit about uh, a Colorado update here. We had, a, we had a very interesting 2021 from, uh, from the COVID side of things, but uh, the regulations seem to really kind of wait till the end of the year before a lot of changes came in. But there have been some changes in 2020 with uh, oil and gas regulations, haven't there? Yeah, yes, quite a few. Um, yeah, you know, and I'm going to get a little political here. Um, you know, the governor wouldn't know the, um, the truth if it hit him in the face. Because, <laughs> you know, he, he talked about, um, hey, the war on oil and gas is over. It's time to move on and, you know, promote, you know, business. And, 
And then he turns around, and um, like two days after he says that the war on oil and gas is over, he turns around, and the um, Oil and Gas Commission, um, COGCC, uh, that he appoints, um, with no Republicans on there, mind you, all uh, Democrats or independents that lean left, and um, all far-left environmentalists, um, turn around two days later and propose a 2,000-foot setback from basically any dwelling, any house, any dwelling. Um, and with, but, uh, they could give some variances. And um, so, yeah, they, there's a lot of restrictions going on, um, not only on the setbacks, but on air quality control and wildlife restrictions. So um, it's going to be a tough year for oil and gas in Colorado. Let me jump in for just a second here, because when I was down in Colorado a few months ago, like I want to say October, maybe September, there, there was, I talked to a number of state officials, and they basically said that, well, there's kind of a truce going on, and you know the, the, the governor and the oil and gas industry and the government officials, they're... they're working together till after the election's done, then they're going to meet once again. And that's at least the impression was that there was going to be some sort of meeting collaboration to see if there can be some sort of uh, agreement moving forward. Um, what, what, what you just said made me think of that. Was that the case? Was there this kind of this truce? And then because to me, it seems like the governor just did exactly what he did when he got elected. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, there were meetings, but there was no collaboration. It was uh, the government or COGCC telling oil and gas how it's going to be. You know, oil and gas would come in with uh, with um, evidence and sci- well, scientific evidence, and then they would hear from environmentalists who you know uh, make up stuff that you know that's uh, pulls on people's uh, emotions, and they um, didn't listen to what oil and gas had to say, and. Uh, a, uh, you know, the, the commission, like I said, the, one of the commissioners said, look, if I could do a mile setback, I would do it. And, you know, so it's, the commission is really anti-oil and gas. And like I said, the governor tried to give that impression like, by saying, oh, the war is over and we're going to work together. But then the commission, literally two days later, came out with um, uh, 2,000 foot setbacks, and which is going to be very difficult for um um, oil and gas to uh, abide by. It's going to be, you know, even here in Weld County. Um, and so, yeah, there was, like I said, no no collaboration. And, you know, th- and then the staffers, I don't know if you heard about this, the staffers of the COGCC were testing a new um, email system or computer system, and they accidentally sent emails to the oil and gas companies, and it was supposed to be an internal email, but they called um, uh, oil and gas companies. Uh, basically, one company was identified as 666. The other one was um, identified as that Dr. Seuss character. The uh, can't think of what it is right now. Um, Grinch? No, not the Grinch. Um, not, not, it's not Lazor. It's um, uh, Larynx or something like that. Oh, Lorax. Lorax, yeah. It was called one company, the Lorax. So Snake um, Oil was another one? Yes, yeah, Snake Oil. And so they called all these companies, you know, um, those names. And so that just gives you um, the idea of how much uh, the COGCC is anti-industry in well, this state. And that's a very important part. In fact, we had 
trying to believe, I'm trying to remember who it was, who we had on. We had on somebody from the state. And I, I asked the question because I, I think it is a real question. At what point does this become discrimination? From, I mean, because this is not only rank prejudice, but now there's actually examples and a body of work that's being done here. This is not finger pointing or even political, but when you can start citing multiple examples about things that are getting to the point to where you can say that's rank prejudice, that's discrimination. When does the state step in? Is there an ethics commission? Is there any sort of uh, you know recourse on something like this? Or is it, hey, bend over and take it, buddy? Yeah, basically it's uh, <laughs> bend over and take it. Um, there is an ethics commission, but it doesn't have anything to do with... Um, you know, government regulations and more has to do with political violations. Um, but the only recourse really is the courts. And because some of these regulations, in my opinion, are takings and it's a violation of our state constitution to have the state um, do a taking without, you know, compensation. And so these mineral uh, right owners who are not now going to be able to develop their minerals, um, have had the government had a taking from them. And so they're going to be out money. So I think the, what we're going to see is a series of lawsuits against some of these regulations um, based on, uh, like you said, the discrimination, but also on the takings that the government is doing to not only the oil and gas companies, but the individual landowners who depend on these minerals. I was talking to a um, dairy farmer. It was about a year or so ago when uh, 112 was up on the ballot. And he said, if that passes, I'm going to have to fold my uh, dairy farm. I, I can't make it on on just dairy. And I have I depend on uh, oil and gas mineral rights and the future mineral rights that I have under the ground to to survive. So I think that's where we're going to see um, the, the the direction that the state is headed um, when it comes to these regulations. I was heard a rumor, and I thought I checked it one time that the the governor uh, Jared Polis, before he was elected, he had written a book called the Colorado Blueprint. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Yes. What, yeah. Do, do, do you do you have a short version of just kind of the history behind that? Yeah, it wasn't just him. There was um, there were four of them, and basically, it's the you know Democrat big donors, and they came up with a. Uh, what they call the blueprint on how to take Colorado back. And they poured millions and millions of dollars into uh, getting Democrats elected and, um, and, and redistricting. So um, they got control of one of the chambers. They redistrict. Well, um, the Republicans had one chamber, the Democrats had the other. And the Democrats knew that um, if they didn't cooperate and if they stuck to their guns on the redistricting, it would go to uh, a Denver district court who was appointed by uh, Democrat governors and a Democrat judge, and that they would win. And so that the judge sided with the Democrats for the last two times we redistricted. But that was part of their plan, was to put uh, Democrats in, in the chambers and it worked, because now we have uh, Democrat Senate and the Democrat House and a Democrat governor, and we have very little power to stop them. So that was part of the blueprint, was to pour money into Democrat candidates, get them elected, and then take over the state, pretty much uh, what they've done. You look at states like North Dakota, New Mexico came out with some recent numbers. Uh, North Dakota, anywhere from 50 to 60% of the general budget's tied to the uh, two oil and gas taxes. And then in New Mexico, like I said, a bunch of the yes. taxes dollars came out at how much reliant they are as well. 
I'm not sure about Colorado. I know Wyoming is pretty pretty heavy into energy, but they've got a lot of coal and, and uh, natural gas and, and to go with their oil and gas or go with their oil exploration. But where, where's the disconnect? Because it seems that there's a lot of public officials who do not understand where the taxes come from. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, well. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was a long pause there. I didn't sure if I'd asked the right question. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. and But the, no, it doesn't make sense uh, because um, so much tax revenue is generated by oil and gas in this state. $200 million to uh, K-12 um, comes from oil and gas and uh, uh, and the severance taxes and um, you know the uh, you know the general budget not just not just tax money um, but you know when you have 144,000 employees in the state that work for oil and gas you know they're paying income tax they're doing sales tax they're um, you know going to restaurants um, so the state's getting money from there 44 um, percent of Downtown Denver, uh, the office space is oil and gas related, and so they're getting money from the oil and gas industry through their leases of the buildings, through the employees down there who visit the restaurants, and so it's hundreds of millions of dollars um, that goes into the state budget every year from oil and gas. But you're right, the there's legislators who either don't know or just don't care because they have a, another agenda. Their agenda is you know, um, placating the Sierra Club and the far-left ra- uh, radical environmentalists. So they just don't care. And they just think, well, you know what? If we don't have oil and gas, we'll just develop wind and solar, and that will, you know, cure all of our problems. What I don't get is, you know, that that mentality, and it is a mentality, and listen, it's here at The Crude Life, we say it's almost easier to talk to a brick wall than it is to, <laughs> to someone. Well, it's true, though. It's Listen, I, I've got a 14-year-old, and I and I was I raised him, so I, I was a father, and I know what it's like to talk to children, and 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 it's very similar right now. It's very similar, and I'm going to transition to the North Face. Um, I'm not, I'm sure you followed that a little bit as far as the the uh, rejecting business from oil gas companies on on the grounds that. They do not do business with uh, companies that do tobacco, pornography, and oil and gas. And that was the first time I've seen now publicly that oil and gas has got lumped in with tobacco. And I've never seen pornography before. That was a new one, but okay. Um, And by the way, your car does not run on Joe Camels and your house is not powered by Marlboros. So there's a big difference between tobacco and, and oil and gas. Yeah, there's a smokestack, but go take a look, and it's totally different smoke. A lot of that white stuff right. is steam, by the way, people. It's Absolutely. St- it's steam. Okay. Um, so uh, but my question is, is that the North Face, and uh, is it VF Corporation, I believe, is the parent company? They're out of Denver. And they have that same kind of bull mentality, blue bull mentality, the blue boulder rolling down the hill, you know. And, um, you know, they just purchased some land outside of the uh, uh, outside of Denver for their private jets to come in. But they've got a whole line of FR clothing. So you've got fire resistant clothing that not only is made out of the oil and gas products, but your number one client is the oil and gas industry. So from a shareholder corporate governance standpoint, from a just a sheer who rejects business 
during a pandemic when everybody's begging for business. It just seems like there is a bigger agenda here that's really well-funded at the corporate governor type of level. Now, those are just two examples that I brought in, but it just seems different, you know? It just seems like there is like a boulder rolling down the hill. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and 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 that's part of the problem is that um, you know Denver Boulder controls the state and and the legislature and at the governor's mansion, and they have this anti-business attitude, and again they have an anti-oil and gas uh, attitude and feeling, and and they don't want to do business. They you know they want to divest you know from any um, retirement fund that uh, has oil and gas uh, in, in their portfolio. Um, so, they, yeah, they have a very much anti-oil and gas, anti-business attitude, not just towards oil and gas. You mentioned cigarettes or tobacco. Um, I don't smoke, but you know what? I don't care if people do. That's their choice. But they, they want to control people, and they do it through this type of legislation or this type of business practices. What should Weld County do, maybe over on the Grand Junction side where they've got a little bit more natural gas? Um, I suppose down in the southern part, I don't know how much is going down in Trinidad or down in the Pueblo area, but you've got, there's oil and gas all the way across the state now that I'm thinking out loud here. Uh, if, if there's somebody who's maybe friends work in the oil and gas industry or maybe they work in the oil and gas industry and they want to get active finally or they want to have their voice heard, Outside of just posting on a social media post, what should what 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 do you recommend to people? I mean, do they email you or your staff or the governor, the commission, or what? Yeah, you know what I've been telling people for the oil and gas industry for the last several years. Um, it, two years ago, there was a, a ballot initiative one twelve that had like twenty five hundred foot setbacks, and and you know from anything, just about you know any irrigation ditch, any building. And there was a concerted effort, and I went um, to defeat that. And for the first time, I saw you know oil and gas really getting into the grassroots. And I went to just about every oil and gas business in my district, and there are a lot, and even some outside. I said, "Look, you need to come down and testify. Not the, not the you know the head of of Koga or the head of API, um, but you need to have um, people." the line worker come down and testify in in the Senate and House committee meetings and say, hey, how much oil and gas um, affects their lives in a positive way? Because you get the anti-oil and gas people and they come down and talk, oh, oil and gas is killing my children or my child and, and it's destroying our neighborhood and it's polluting. No, we need the line workers to come and say, look, um, I work in the oil and gas industry and it's putting my kids through college or it's uh, paying our health care bills. Um, you know, my neighbors, um, you know, uh, kids play with my kids. And if we, if we, uh, shut down oil and gas, I have to move. Um, and the same thing, I went to him and said, look, you need to start talking to your neighbors over this ballot initiative, go to them and say, you, do you like us being your neighbors? Do you like your kids playing with my kids and vote no on this initiative and, um, you know, uh, and, and start telling what, how oil and gas affects you in a positive way. And, um, and I think it worked because it passed, I mean, the, the initiative failed overwhelmingly in the state. There was only like eight counties that uh, supported it, and it was like Boulder and a couple of the mountain communities. Um, so it, um, it, I think it worked. Um, 
And that's what we need to have. They need to be active politically. And I'm not talking just like I said, the CEOs. I'm talking the line workers, the, um, uh, you know, the middle management, upper management. Everybody needs to um, uh, get involved. In, How about from the state side? Are we at the... Um the non-elected accountability yet pressure where the people who maybe are appointed and, you know, somebody works for the education department or people, you know, saying, hey, how come you're not sticking up for the oil and gas industry because they're funding about 90% of your industry? Things like that. You know what I mean? Just kind of the little bit more, uh, I don't know, backhanded ways to get some pressure put in some different areas that, because if, if, if they're elected, they're elected. That's that's right. That's the way it is. But... You know, if you're appointed or, you know, you, you applied for a job, you're not supposed to be political at all. You're supposed to really represent the people, you know, type of a thing. So there's there's, right. there's ways to apply pressure there. That's all I'm wondering if yeah. we're getting to that I point yet. No, not, <laughs> okay. no, not at all, because um, you, you got to realize the people that are appointed are appointed by a Democrat governor. And even if um, we um, confirm them, doesn't matter. We can because we're in the minority, so they yeah. can be anti um, oil and gas on the COGCC, and they still get appointed because the Republicans are in the minority right now, and uh, so that's not really going to work. And you know, people are so now um, so separated from the bureaucrats; they have no idea what's happening, what they're doing to them for the most part. And um, well, so, what worries me in today's day and age is that. Um, you know, the, the example we were just talking about, about some of that, you know, just applied pressure in that. Um, blowback is real now. Um, the blowback that can come, it, it's well-funded. <laughs> it's It's got right. some force behind it. So, yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and I think it's more important that, you know, people that are in the oil and gas, like I said, work through their political means. Here in, in Greeley, there was a Democrat in House District 50, and uh, Rochelle Galindo, and she got recalled because she voted for uh, Senate Bill 181. She was in the House, but when it made it over there, she voted for it, which was the anti-oil and gas um, bill that eventually passed. But here's a representative from Greeley that is highly dependent on, Weld County is highly dependent on oil and gas that voted for uh, an anti-oil and gas bill, and she got recalled in, um, because of it. So there is political pressure that can be put on, and it, I think it comes through the ballot box. Well, I mean, there's certainly some classy ways of doing it, and it's always best to take the high road when you can. But just a few, you know, through our conversation, I've heard of a few ways that the high road was not taken in order to really do some damage to the oil and gas industry. And um, I, I'm not one to, you know, I'm not an eye for an eye guy, but also I don't like getting picked on too long either. I <laughs> so. I, I do eventually fight back. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, good. Yeah, I, I wish, um, you know, for a lot of times, unfortunately, oil and gas uh, has placated these people. Well, that, and, you know, yeah, I mean, say, really, at the end of the day, oil and gas is, you know, the big bad wolf, no matter what they do, because, they, you right. know, 96% of our life is dependent on it, you know, and so they're in a lose-lose position a lot of times, you know, they really right. are. And, well, um, and, and, yeah. and I, under, I understand, but yet yeah, sometimes you, you just have to stand up and fight with everything you got. Instead, like I said, the oil and gas industry, I mean, they, some of them, the industry uh, companies gave more money to Democrats than they did to the Republicans for the election. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and then those very Democrats that received that money, as soon as they got in, turned around and um, attacked oil and gas. 
and they try oil and gas tries to placate them and go along with them and and, and at some point you just got to you know say hey enough is enough you know we're either shutting down our operations or you know we're going to fight back with everything we got we're going to take you to court every every chance we get and um, we're going to fight and we're going we've had enough but you know draw that line in the sand and they haven't done it yet well any final thoughts here appreciate the time and the access as we talk with senator john cook from district 13 greeley colorado is kind of is that is that the big big kind of hub there for for your district yeah yeah uh greeley um is about 110,000 population right now and and so most of my district is in greeley although it runs all the way down to the county line uh about uh, 40 miles to the south um so yeah as a matter of fact greeley just overtook boulder in population this year oh you're kidding me no no uh boulder's losing population and greeley's getting it is picking it up boulders losing population but yet their ozone emission it continues to rise yep <laughs> yes yeah go figure i mean that's go a figure. true statement isn't it yeah yeah well they, they, they i saw that they were number one in the state for for uh pollution yeah uh, so i mean now that's that's interesting so are you not fort collins are you no no that's no, okay. that's in uh, Larimer County. Okay, my, that's my, my district is solely in Weld. There's three senators that represent Weld, and mine is exclusively in Weld County. I just know they're pretty close, and um, yes, you know, and, unfortunately, and geographically, but they're certainly very different ideologically. That's, that's oh, absolutely very. You know, Fort Collins. Fort Collins is trying to out Boulder Boulder when it comes to uh, going left, and uh, so yes, very different ideologically. Well, that's what I thought. I, I, for you know. I used to stay in Fort Collins quite a bit, and and I, I would bring this example up a lot five, six years ago that when I would stay in the breakfast bar, I enjoy talking to strangers in breakfast bars of hotels, especially when I'm out of town. And, you know, a lot of times you can, you know, get some great conversations going because a lot of people are in the same boat you're in. And what I noticed was people started looking over their shoulders before they mentioned that they were in oil and gas five, six years ago. <laughs> And right. that was interesting to me because that wasn't happening really anywhere else. And so I was like, oh, this is a, I've, you know, made a mental note of it and everything. And then now we're at where we're at today and everything along those lines. And uh, how long is the governor there for another, is he there for another two years? Uh, yeah, let's see. He, no, well, he's only in his second year. So he's got two years and then another election, if you want. Right, Wait, right. So six years, yeah. Okay. So, it, yeah, well, assume two. Um uh, well, I, I would think so. I mean, this is, um, I, I would assume anybody that polarizing wouldn't do well, but that's just, who knows, who knows. But, well, when you can spend $30 million of your own money uh, to become governor, uh, it's not hard to win an election. Oh, and he's, he's uh, self-funded like that. Yeah, yeah, he, um, he spent $30 million, and he was so funny about it, uh, not funny, it was sad, several years ago he wrote and funded um, political reform um, here in the uh, campaign uh, reform, and he pretty much wrote it. And if you self-fund, there's no limits on how much you can spend. Right. If you don't self-fund, you, there's a limit on how much you can receive. Uh, like I think it's like for governor, it might be twelve hundred bucks. I can't remember exactly. So if our candidate um, had a good quarter, like say raised two hundred thousand in one quarter, he'd write himself a check for two million. Wow. And so, 
Yeah, so he spent about $30 million of his own to get elected governor, and our candidate was only able to raise about $3 million. Hmm. In a state that's known historically for being blue, is that right? Well, not historically. As I mean, fact, somewhere in the 90s it changed, right, or whatever it yeah. was? So, yeah, it, 90s, yeah. It, Early 2000s, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we did have the Senate for four years um, when I first got elected in 15. Um, and then we lost the Senate two years ago, and we only lost one seat this year. We Democrats thought we'd lose uh, three to five, but we only lost one. So we're yeah. holding our own. Well, one last question, and just because you're you're in Colorado, you might you, you, I would imagine at least the conversations would be happening in the cafes and things like that. But has anybody from the environmental wing, whether it's the Office of the Environment or the Bureau of Land Management or whoever, discussed what the plan is for some of these parks and some of these environmental? Uh, projects that they have going if they try to get rid of oil and gas? Because my understanding is that the oil and gas industry funds a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely they do. Um, no, they have not. They, like I said, I just, they either don't know or don't care. And so, no, they uh, they don't have stakeholder meetings. Um, now, the government bureaucracies have it, like the COGCC or the Air Quality Control. They have to have public meetings. But, you know, these um, environmental groups, no, they don't. They don't sit down and, and talk with oil and gas and and or state legislators to find out, you know, what would happen if oil and gas, uh, you know, picks up and leaves, or if they get regulated out of business here, which is unfortunate. Well, appreciate you sense. keep keeping up the good fight. You know, former sheriff, so you know you know how to how to follow the law and 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 make the law. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> That's, I'd rather enforce it, to be honest with you, at this point. Well, and that's what's got to be frustrating, honestly, from your perspective, is that, you know, you are a lawman at the end of the day. And, right. you know, so now you're in the part where you're helping formulate and shape and ma- manipulate and maneuver and that sort of thing when, you know, all the above when it comes to the law. But, you know, you're, like you said, you are a lawman. So it's got to be frustrating at times for you to see this stuff. Very much so, especially um, not only on the oil and gas side, but also... Um, on the law enforcement side, because I'm the only one down there that has a law enforcement background. And it's funny how, you know, everybody down there at the legislature thinks they know how to, you know, uh, run law enforcement better than the professionals. So that's really frustrating when you see these anti-law enforcement uh, bills that get introduced down there at, uh, at the Capitol. Yeah, don't get me started on those. This, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, anyway, but, well, I appreciate the time today. We'll, we'll talk down the line, okay, sir? All right, sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, you
the crude life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Colorado State Senator John Cook from District 13 out of Weld County. Gives an update on Colorado's new oil and gas regulations that go into effect January 15th. Cook says these new rules will affect almost every single stage of the oil and gas extraction process in Colorado. This is Colorado State Senator John Cook. The regulations seem to really kind of wait till the end of the year before a lot of changes came in, but there have been some changes in 2020 with uh, oil and gas regulations, haven't there? Yeah, yes, quite a few. Yeah, you know, and I'm going to get a little political here. The governor wouldn't know the, um, the truth if it hit him in the face. Because, you know, he talked about, hey, the war on oil and gas is over, it's time to move on and, you know, promote, you know, business. And then he turns around and like two days after he says that the war on oil and gas is over, he turns around and the um, Oil and Gas Commission, um, COGCC, uh, that he appoints with no Republicans on there, mind you, all uh, Democrats or independents that lean left and um, all far left environmentalists turn around two days later and propose a 2,000 foot setback from basically any dwelling, any house, any dwelling. And with, but, uh, they could give some variances. So yeah, they, there's a lot of restrictions going on, not only on the setbacks, but on air quality control and wildlife restrictions. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough year for oil and gas in Colorado. Yeah, there were meetings, but there was no collaboration. It was, uh, the government or COGCC telling oil and gas how it's going to be that, you know, oil and gas would come in with evidence and science, well, scientific evidence. And then they would hear from environmentalists who, you know, make up stuff that, you know, that's pulls on people's uh, emotions and they um, didn't listen to what oil and gas had to say. To listen to the full-length interview with Colorado State Senator John Cook or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to join our ever-growing army of social media energy enthusiasts at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media page. We've got the YouTubes, the Twitters, 
Facebooks, all kinds of different social media accounts, whatever your liking is. That's thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. The music on today's program is written and performed by the Moody River Band. For more information on the Moody River Band, their links, and their music, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com and click on the musicians tab. I was tears old when John Lennon died Well, I was 23 when George said goodbye Yeah, next go, I think it's Paul, I say And then there'll be only Ringo to play Well, Gandhi says now for now makes a whole world blind And I was two years old when John Lennon died well, I was born near a harvest moon I wasn't too late and I wasn't too soon And I was born on the first day of my life And I was two years old when John Lennon died I've lived, yeah, you know that I've tried Well, I've told the truth, yeah, you know that I've lied You know we do what we do so we can survive And I was two years old when John Lennon died 